Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is the Friday broadcast. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So thankful that you're joining us today. And I love Fridays because it's two days before Sunday. So don't forget, it's Friday, but Sunday is coming. So why don't you spend some time worshiping the Lord this weekend? Find a good Bible-believing church. If you already belong to a church, go support your church, support your pastor. Uh, Be involved in what God is doing because the church is vital and the church is God's hope for the world. Uh, We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 7 today and uh, a very familiar portions of Scripture. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon ever preached, uh, the most powerful sermon ever preached, and it was given to the followers of Christ. Jesus said this, everyone who hears, now some people want to be in the know, but when it comes to the word of going, they don't want to be in the go, right? Uh, They want to know, but they don't want to go. They want to see what's happening. They want to know what's happening, but sometimes they don't want to be involved in in helping out what happens. And all you got to do is have an accident or break down one time on the side of the road and thousands of people will go by you and you'll find hopefully one or two that will come by and help you out. But Jesus said, everyone who hears my words and he puts these words into practice. Okay, so it's hearing and putting in practice. He is like a wise man. And then he gives an analogy of what a wise man is, like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Then he went away to say to everyone who hears his word and does not put into practice, he's like that foolish man who built his house on sand. So here we see two houses. You know, they had the same vision for this house. They had the same plans for this house. And they had the same house. And then it's the same storm. The only thing different is the foundation. And now we're in the process of building a, a building or adding a, a building, a, an educational building. And I noticed that the guys have spent the last couple of weeks on getting the footers ready and getting the foundation ready. And uh, the foundation is the most important part of the building as far as the stability of the building and as far as its long-term ability to stand up against the storms. And we see here that these two houses that are being built are identical except for the foundation. So Jesus is reminding us here that as you hear the word of God, you know it, and then as you put it into practice, you're going to be a wise man. I found something interesting about wisdom. When everything's going good, I don't need wisdom. It's when things go awry that I need wisdom. It's when I don't know what I need to do is when I need wisdom. I don't need wisdom to do the things that I know I need to do. I don't have wisdom to say, I need to go to work, right? I know I need to go to work. That's a given. I need wisdom so I can know how to work and be most effective at work. So wisdom is given to us, and it's often below the surface. Uh, You don't see much of the footers. You don't see much of the foundation. It's below the surface. But if it's not there, you will notice over time it's not there. I guess you can kind of know this as you're dealing with people. Uh, As you talk to people, you may not notice immediately whether they are wise or not. They may appear to be pretty wise, but then when you put the pressure on them, When things don't go according to plan, that's where you see a person who has wisdom versus a person who doesn't have wisdom. When the storm comes, it reveals the integrity of the foundation. When the storm comes in our lives, it reveals the wisdom or the lack of wisdom that we have in Christ. So let's talk about why the church is so vital and why the church is God's hope for the world. In Ephesians chapter 4, we see that we are to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way to be like him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by joint in which it is equipped with every part working properly. 
It makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so as we look at this particular passage, we see that a lot of things happening within the church. And so I'm going to give you the main purpose of the church, the main function of the church. And so I, I would say that the church is a place where we have evangelism taking place. Uh, we are told that each part working together makes the body to grow, and it builds itself up in love. And so when we think about evangelism, some people are gifted in evangelism, but all of us are called to share our faith. We're to speak the truth in love. Peter says that when we revere Christ as Lord, we ought to always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks us of the reason of the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness and respect. So the wisdom part of evangelism is saying, I've got to be ready, I've got to be prepared to give an answer, but I also must be giving an answer to those who are looking for that hope, and we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Uh, So this is a point that we must understand as we're sharing the faith, that we look for opportunities to share the gospel, and we're looking for people who are what we would call uh, able to receive the gospel, those who are, are good soil, right? And we're doing it with gentleness, and we're doing it with respect. So Paul is making a point that a church is unified when it speaks the truth and love, and not as two separate parts, right? We don't have the gospel being truth or love. Uh, The gospel is truth and love. Or we could say it's truth and love. You see, sometimes we share the gospel, and, and maybe you get the feeling like when you're talking to your children, you feel like, what, what you're saying is going in in one ear and out the other ear. And sometimes I, I feel like that with my sermons, and I feel like it's going in one ear and out the other ear. It kind of reminds me of a funny little story that the pastor gave one Sunday. And it was a story of a pastor, a doctor, and a lawyer. And they, they went out hunting one day together, and they all saw the same five-point buck standing in a field about 300 yards away, and they all simultaneously took aim, took a shot, and the deer fell dead. Well, an argument ensued between the pastor and the doctor and the lawyer as to who actually shot the deer. And they all claimed it was their shot that hit and killed the deer. The argument got so heated that they finally decided it was time to call the game warden to see if he could settle the dispute as to who made that fatal shot that took out that fine-looking buck. Well, the game warden came over and he looked over the deer and he quickly figured out who shot the buck. He said without any hesitation and the utmost confidence, it was the pastor's shot that hit and killed the buck. Well, how can you be so sure, protested the doctor and the lawyer. Well, the game warden said, I only found one place where the bullet entered and exited the deer. The deer was shot in the side of the head and the bullet went in one ear and out the other ear, so it had to be the pastor who shot the deer. Well, that's kind of funny when you think about it, but maybe you feel like that, that you're giving the gospel and it's going in one ear and out the other. I want you to know that we should look for opportunities to share the gospel to those who are receptive. You know, maybe as you look at your life and you say, man, I I want to share the gospel with people at work. I don't know how to do it. Has it ever occurred to you that maybe, maybe you could be the on-site chaplain for your place of work? You could be the person that people come to when they have a need in their life. You know, I have a neighbor that I so want to come to know Christ. And I've tried to share the gospel with this person, and and it seems like I'm getting nowhere. But you know, this same person, every time they have a crisis in their life, they call me up or they call me over 
and say, hey, would you pray about this situation? And uh, he said, we don't know how to pray, but we know you pray. And so I feel like I'm not their pastor, but I'm, I'm their chaplain. You know, the chaplain helps you out uh, with spiritual matters. And, and, and so that would be a starting point. In Romans 1 and I were told to speak the truth in Christ. Paul says, I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit, looking for wise ways to share the gospel. So the church is all about evangelism. That's why it is the hope of our world. Number two, uh, the church is all about discipleship. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You know, immaturity ruins everything. It can ruin countries. It can ruin families. It can ruin marriages. As a matter of fact, I think most marriages fall apart because one or both parties are being immature and they refuse to forgive. They refuse to acknowledge they have any part of the problem within the marriage. That is a childish way of looking at it. That is an immature way that will ruin marriages. You know, the refusal to grow up can ruin a church. You know, I think that churches that struggle are churches that refuse to grow up. Hey, you remember when you were a kid, that Toys R Us slogan, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. Many people don't want to grow up, but the church is designed to make you into disciples. Jesus, when he gave the commission to the early church, he says, therefore, Go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Jesus is giving this command, go make disciples. Now, I didn't say go make converts. He said, go make disciples. That is a growing up process. Unfortunately, growing up spiritually is sometimes a difficult process. In Hebrews chapter 5, Paul tells us that solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. You know one of the reasons as a Christian you don't want to grow up is because you don't want to have that ability to discern good from evil. You'd rather kind of walk the line and walk both sides of the fence. But you can't do that and be a disciple of Christ. You know, growing up spiritually is expected. Growing up spiritually is an ongoing process, and even growing up spiritually is actually displayed in Jesus Christ himself. Well, let's look at that first point. It's expected. Well, Paul says to the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. So God expects us to grow up. Just as you expect your children to grow up, You don't want them to be thinking like a child when they're 25, 30 years old. You want them to become men. You want them to grow up to be young ladies who who love the Lord. You want them to grow up and mature. It's expected. Also, spiritual maturity is an ongoing process. Are you never done growing spiritually? Paul said to young Timothy, if you continue in what you have learned, in what you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from a child, You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which were able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. And Paul giving that emphasis, continue in what you have learned. It's an ongoing process. It's not a one and done. You are continuing to grow to be more like Christ. And then Jesus himself displayed it. In Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God 
and man. Oh, maybe you're asking yourself, well, okay, I need to grow up. I need to be more like Christ. I need to be a follower of Christ. I need to be a disciple. Well, how do I grow up? Well, you know, in human life, there are three stages to maturity. First, you have that infant stage. That's where you are dependent upon your parents. And when the infant has to rely on others for everything, right? In that infant stage, the child makes no decisions and needs constant care and constant nurture. But then there's that second stage of maturity. It's called the independent adolescence. When the developing child begins to realize who they are, and and they begin to make decisions on their own as to what is right and what is wrong. And the child is no longer content to be dependent upon others, but feels competent to choose his own destiny. And then finally, a person moves to maturing adulthood. Uh, The person's powers are developed, and and, and he or she is now responsible and and able to make uh, their own decisions as to what they want to do. And, And the person has attained adult status and full responsibility for his life and for his actions. You know, a similar progression is seen in our growth as Christians as we mature. Now, the new life that enters at conversion is is the infant life. And Peter says, like newborn babies, they crave spiritual milk so that by it they may grow up in your salvation. You know, the embryo of of life for the new believers requires that there's this life going on and on and growing. You know, a, a nursing mother is needed as long as the child remains a milk-drinking infant. Gradually, that child will progress, and solid food will be introduced into his diet. And those are exciting times, because now you're not so dependent upon that mother. Now you're at the stage where you have reached a stage where you are in independent adolescence. And for that, is that person who is a spiritual adolescence, like physical adolescence, is someone who is able to discern between right and wrong. They don't have the full wisdom of an older person, uh, but they begin to step out on their own, provided there's still limits and there's still uh, guidance that is needed. But this is normal development. That life is brought under the Lordship of Christ and the control of the Holy Spirit, and it is slowly reaching that maturity of spiritually mature. But then there's a third stage, and that we call progressive maturity. Uh, this is adulthood that is attained and, and is an endless scope of growth. We are to grow up in Christ in everything, in every part of our life. It's to center around Him. Paul says to grow up into Him who is the head. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed this, but a baby's head is very large in proportion to the rest of their body. But as the body develops, it grows up into a correct proportion to the head. As a maturing believer grows to match the head, he or she progressively moves toward that growing up in every way to him who is the head, that is the church. Well, there's a third reason why the church is so necessary and the church is needed in our world today. Not only is the church vital in that it brings the gospel through evangelism, but the church is also vital in that it teaches us how to grow up and how to be disciples and how to mature in our faith. Thirdly, we see that the church is also the place where we have this ability to join up through fellowship. There's a great place to receive lots of fellowship, good, wholesome fellowship. It's called the church. In Acts chapter 2, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
We're told to encourage everyone through fellowship. You know, that word fellowship is an interesting word. It has to do with mutually building up one another, encouraging one another. That's what fellowship is all about. We are told as believers that we're not to let corrupt communication come out of our mouths, but we're only to do such things that is building up others, that is fitting the occasion. And that way we give grace to the hearers. Building up one another is a key component of fellowship. There's something else that is so vital about the church, and the church is a place where we worship. We're to build each other up in love, and that is done through worship. You know, I think about musicians, and I I think about athletes. Why is it that, that some seem to excel in music, and some seem to excel in their athleticism? Well, Gary McPherson did a study, picked out 157 random children and and wanted them to learn a musical instrument, and they followed these children to see who would stick through it in the long term. And they discovered that there were several factors, but IQ was not an indicator whether or not a person would follow through and be a musician for the long term. They also discovered it wasn't uh, whether or not they had parental support. Uh, That didn't have much effect on whether or not they would do it long-term. They discovered that the students who played for a very short time didn't become very proficient. But the students who planned to play for a long time had modest success. But those who planned to play for a lifetime went on to be musicians and went on to be professional athletes. You see, the difference is they expected to do something long-term. In John 4, 24, it says, God is a spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. It was D.L. Moody who said, Church attendance is vital to a discipline as a transfusion of rich, healthy blood is to the sick person. I want you to know that as you look at worship, lifting up the name of Christ, If you will look at this as a lifetime blessing, then I get to spend the rest of my life worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You will discover that the Lord brings an unbelievable level of joy to your life. When I think about sharing our faith and I think about worshiping, I think about the opportunities that God has given to be a blessing, I think about how God works in a mysterious ways. Think about the people that God has brought into your life. Maybe right now God has brought somebody special in your life and, and you don't know who that person is and, and you want to have a relationship with that person and you want to share the gospel with that person. I read a story about a little guy who got saved and he got saved because somebody took the time to share the gospel with him. I got a text that said, Caleb was saved yesterday. I was at the Toyota dealership. And I met a wonderful four-year-old girl whose name was Tabitha. Oh, she was very talkative, and she and I struck up a friendship, and, and she told me that she knew her ABCs, and, and she asked me what I was doing, and I said, well, I'm working on a sermon. And, uh, and, and she didn't ask any further questions about what that was, but this little girl constantly set the tone for the conversation. Finally, her mom said to her, well, come over here and, and sit down and stop bothering that man who's trying to get some work done. 
The little girl started crying and said, well, mom, I want to talk to my new friend. I think about how easy it is to become friends with somebody if you just reach out to them. Little Caleb was saved because somebody reached out to him. You know, I think about evangelism styles. Maybe you want to share your faith and and you're strong at building friendships. Matthew was that way. In Matthew chapter 5, Matthew, the tax collector, went and when he got saved, he threw a party and invited all of his fellow tax collectors to come and join him. And, and Jesus was with them and, and Jesus mixed it up with them. Maybe you want to share your faith by being one who is a server. You just love to serve people, right? And this is a wonderful way to reach people with the gospel. Have people over your house and serve them a meal. Or just do a random act of kindness. You discover that's a wonderful way to share the gospel. Maybe you are a storyteller. You're not just out giving a testimony, but you have this wonderful gift of telling stories. You know, God uses storytellers. Paul did that in Acts chapter 7. He told the story of how he was converted. And he talked about how he was on that, that road to Damascus and he was, going to, he was going to persecute the believers who were following the way of Christ. And, and he thought he was doing God's duty, but he had this encounter on that road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. Maybe you're a truth teller. Maybe you're like Peter, right? Peter was one of these guys who, who was not satisfied to sit on the fence. And sometimes Peter would, would insert his foot into his mouth, but God loved the heart of Peter because he was a truth teller. He told it like it is. Maybe you're a reason giver, and you're really good as an apologist, and, and that's kind of the approach that Paul used when he was before King Agrippa, and he reasoned with him why he should become a follower of Christ. You know, when I think about the world, the world is looking for men and women who will stand up and tell the truth. Knowing how to share the gospel is so very important. Will you take the time and share the gospel with somebody today? Speaking the truth in love, growing up and realizing that God has given me a wonderful opportunity, a tremendous mission field right in front of me. You know that everybody who is listening to me right now has an influence of at least six people. In other words, if you were to die right now, at least six people would be greatly disturbed by your passing. They'd be grieving over your passing. I want to ask you a question. Those people that you know best, the six most influential people in your life, maybe it's a mother or a father, a brother or a sister, a husband or a wife, a close friend, a co-worker, a family member. I don't know who those inner circle people are, but I've never done a funeral where less than six people have showed up. I've done some funerals where very few people have shown up. I did a funeral not too long ago when eight people showed up. But of those six people, do they know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And if not, why don't you take the initiative? Why don't you pray fervently for God to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with them? You know, many years ago, I was challenged to begin my day with a little prayer, and the prayer was like this. And it was a prayer that I would pray so that I would share the gospel every day. This pastor said, listen, if you get up every day and you begin your day and ask the Lord to to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with somebody today, you say a simple little prayer like, Lord, in the next 24 hours, by the time I live out this day, would you give me the opportunity to share Christ with somebody today? 
I don't know who that's going to be, but I pray that you will open up that opportunity for me to share the gospel. So that's the first part of the prayer, praying for opportunity, praying for God to open up uh, an opportunity. Jesus, when he looked out and he saw the fields were white under harvest, he says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he sends forth laborers. The second part of that prayer is, Lord, when I, when I have that opportunity, would you allow me to see it and give me the boldness that I need to share the gospel? And so we're praying for the opportunity. And number two, the boldness to speak up when that opportunity presents itself so that you can speak the truth and that, that you will speak it in love. And then the third part of that prayer is you pray, now, Lord, as I speak with boldness, help me to speak also with love and compassion. You know, people can pick up love in the tone of your voice. They can pick up love in the body language that you are expressing as you're talking to them. So as you're speaking with boldness, as you are seizing this opportunity to share the gospel, you're praying that God will give you that compassion and that love. Listen, if you pray that three-pronged prayer, I promise you, you will have opportunities abounding to share the gospel. So would you please take this approach to share the gospel with somebody today? And if I can pray for you, shoot me a text at 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Have a great weekend. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.